Okay, so welcome again to another episode of The Conversation, Outspoken and Opinionated. Of course, my name is Edwin Meyer and I will be your host today. Um, for those who are watching and those who will watch later today, um, this week has been really trying, I think, um, for those who for those those of us who are from the continent of Africa, I think we have felt similar pain when it comes to what's going on in Africa right now, and especially in Nigeria. And so in representing my brothers and sisters from Nigeria and those who have been um, affected by this atrocity or those who have been affected by what just happened in Nigeria, um, I'm representing, I'm wearing a shirt that was made specifically for Nigerians, but even though it says born, breed, and shipped from Nigeria, I'm not, but hey, um, we are all um, from that part of the world and we are, it's unfortunate what has happened. And I think um, it's important that we do acknowledge what's going on right now in Nigeria, in other parts of Africa, other parts of the world, you know, how black people are suffering some sort of um, whatever it is that's going on. Um, yeah. Um, oh gosh, but anyway, today, what we're going to talk about today is really, um, it's going to be important. Um, I am, we are going to touch on, you know, uh, what's going on in Nigeria, but we're really going to focus on women and mental health. And today I have a guest, uh, Ms. Veronica Mills, who has worked in Africa, specifically in Nigeria. She worked in Liberia and she's done other things with black women. And I know currently she has, um, an organization that she will talk to us about, but again, like I said earlier, this is the conversation outspoken and opinionated. My name is Edwin Meyer. I am your host for the day, and we're all going to dive into the conversation. So I'm going to bring in Veronica Mills. And so, Veronica, you are welcome to the show for Hi. the second time. <laughs> hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. You are welcome. This is actually Veronica's second time on the show. Veronica helped me to. Veronica opened the show. <laughs> if we were back in September when we started our first episode, Veronica was part of Veronica is a great friend. She was part of that group that started the show with me. And so today we have her. Um, Veronica, what I just want to talk about briefly, which is really not brief, but I think uh, we should acknowledge, we should give um reference to what's going on right now in Nigeria. And we say, you know, um, um it's unfortunate what has happened in Nigeria, I think the killing of those young, of these young people, of those young people, I'm sorry, it's sad. And I think people don't really understand what's really happening. And I think we're on social media and we'll watch these videos. I don't know how many people have seen these videos, but I have seen multiple videos and it's heartbreaking because once again, it's the killing and slaying of black people. And this time around, we're doing it to ourselves. Right, right. Um, yeah, it is painful to see so many lives lost and folks fighting so hard just for basic human rights, right? They're asking for respect, be able to thrive um, and not be killed and, and harassed by the police. Um, I'm definitely, my heart is with Nigeria now. Um, that was the first African country I've ever visited. I lived there for a year. I, I definitely understand that there were plenty of issues around policing there. Um, and I think SARS is just one small part of it because SARS is the department, but overall there have been issues with the police in, in Nigeria. And um, 
I'm glad that it's getting attention. I'm glad that people are coming together and I really hope there's going to be some, some real change. Yeah. But you know, uh, I like to, I always love to get context. And so I, for those who are watching, I just want to let you know, well, for those who don't know what SARS stands for, SARS is a special anti-robbery squad. That organization, which that part of the Nigerian police was created in 1984. And that was in response to, you know, different atrocities. There was robbery, there was carjacking, um, there were kidnapping, a lot of things was going on in Nigeria. And so in 1984, the government and the police department decided to, you know, let's create this specific uh, branch of the police so that we can really tackle these things that's going on in Nigeria. And so after, if you rather read the history of SARS, they were great. They really, really, really went ahead, went ahead and really stopped a lot of things that was going on when they first started. But then recently there was a report that was uh, um, done by Amnesty. Amnesty did a report on Nigeria and found out that SARS had basically now turned into exactly what they were trying to prevent. So apparently these police officers who are part of this uh, um, anti-robbery uh, unit have started doing exactly what they were created to stop. And so basically just for stats uh, purposes, there have been 82 cases of torture and execution by that department. And the funny thing is they're stating that this SARS really target males between 18 and 25. And so someone I was talking to told me that basically this is how it works. You are driving, you get pulled over, and they ask you, okay, so is this your car? So let's say a young guy who's 25 years old is driving an X5 BMW. He's stopped. Where do you get the money from to buy this car? And if you cannot give them a specific, because their understanding is you are too young to own this car. In the age of 20, in this 2020, really was really, I would say, pushing the economy is young adults. They are in businesses. They are doing a lot of other things. So someone driving an X5 doesn't mean that they're a criminal. Yes, there are criminals who drive flashy cars. But I mean, this has become really rampant. And that is why the people are out there protesting because they feel that, hey, you can't, like, you can't just arrest me because I drive a certain car. And then it's funny because if you look at that situation, and bring it to where we are right now in the United States. Okay. It's kind of similar. If a black man is driving a certain car, he gets he might get pulled over by the police and ask certain questions. But can you imagine this is happening in a black in an African country by black people doing it to another black person? And so it's sad. So I will say there are just two points. I think one, when you think about the reason that, that that SARS was created in the first place, right, to stop these robberies and these things were that were happening, I think it would have probably been more helpful to say, to ask what were the root causes for the reasons why people were robbing and stealing in the first place, right? And maybe putting funding and money and efforts and resources into that and perhaps then solving those issues, you wouldn't need a whole new police force, right? But there's also a reason why SARS has turned into who they've turned into, right? There's a reason why these police are stealing from these folks and things like that. I mean, if you look at governance in that space, a lot of folks aren't being paid, literally. 
Like, you know what I mean? They're not getting their salaries. I mean, they've turned into gangsters and and not to excuse anybody's behavior, but I'm just saying like, we need, I think a part of this conversation is going to have to also be about checking out those root or delving into the root causes of a lot of that too. And I think that's where checks and balance come in because I strongly believe that, hey, not trying to say that what's going on in Nigeria, we are accepting, you know, what the police officers are doing and all this stuff that's happening. But what I'm saying is someone is being paid right and someone's been given the right resources to do their job, they might not turn into what's going on right now. And then fast forwarding to a couple of days ago, I believe it was Tuesday, where you know the protesters who are at the uh, um the toll booth, I think it's Leke somewhere in Lagos, where they turn their lights off and Massive. basically and i think that's what i want people to understand they were literally they, they literally opened fire on this young peaceful protesters and mm-hmm. killed them because they had the power they had the gun they had the power, and they could do what they did and it's on it's sad because there are numerous videos and like i said there are numerous videos and there are things on the internet where the governor of lagos is basically stating that the police were under the police did what they wanted to do they did not get direct uh, uh, uh permission from the police commissioner or from him and i'm like okay so that area where they turn the light off i believe there is a switch station i don't think it's just like a low thing where you can just turn the light off because if you watch the videos basically that entire area went dark and then all you can see is gunshots that looks like fire fire fireworks and so it's sad and it's unfortunate that we will do that to our own people we will do that to our own kids because that's the next generation and if we will take the lives of these young promising men and women just to satisfy our now need because they are saying something against us that we don't like and so we are going to take them out you forget to know that your generation is literally wiping out and these are the people who's going to come in and so if you are literally taking their lives away then what's next Who's going to be there to protect this country? Who's going to be there to protect the nation and all that kind of stuff? So it's really sad that people aren't even thinking about all the thing about is now. So um, again, like I said to everyone in Nigeria, those who are all all Nigerians around the world, I want you to to let you know that we here at the conversation do stand with you. We say in stars, we say in Nigeria police brutality. And we said we are with you. We're praying for you. I mean, so the mothers and fathers who lost their kids, we there is nothing we can say to bring your kids back. But we pray that God will give you the grace to go on. We pray that God will give you the yeah the grace and peace for you to deal with this situation. Because I have a child, and that's something I ain't want here. I can tell I don't. That's a situation I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it because. It's just ridiculous. Right. But anyway, let's move into what we really came to talk about. I have Miss Veronica Mills. I think she is a firecracker. I think she's just a black woman that everyone needs to have in her corner. If you don't have this powerful black woman in your corner, then that's a problem. But Veronica, let, let the people know who you are and what you do in D.C. Sure. So I actually work for the federal government in D.C., 
Um, I work for a really small agency dedicated to ending homelessness. And a lot of my work has brought me into this space of um, working with people who have lived experience and who are most vulnerable in in America, and that's the homeless population, right? Um, and so many of those people are disproportionately are Black people. 40% of the people experiencing homelessness are Black people. Oh. And um, falling into homelessness at the highest rate are Black women. And they're usually mothers. They're usually single mothers, and they're usually fleeing from violence. Oh, excuse me. Bless you, friend. <laughs> I've been doing that for live. This is what happened on the live show. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> you got to get it out. Um, this is this is domestic work now, but um, history or before I worked in Africa. I lived and worked in Africa for five years. Um, and there, I was doing work around HIV, uh, economics projects, health projects, things like that. Um, and now I'm here doing this and I'm looking for more ways to continue to pour into my people. And I've started focusing on black women a bit more because I think that that's a space that just needs it. And for me, like I normally tell people, I say, I think I was surround, I have been over the years, I've been surrounded by strong black women. And my mom is one of the, one of the strongest black women I've ever met. I mean, she has done everything possible in her strength to make sure that I am the man who I am today. And I don't think that was an easy thing for her. Um, I think as a single black woman um, trying to just make ends meet, she did she did a tremendous job. And so, you know, I always support black women. But I want to go into this phrase, what everybody considers to be this thing that everybody say, strong black woman. I want us to really dive into that because a couple of months ago, Taraji P. Henson um, had an interview with Essence and I quote, she said that she hates that statement because it basically takes away the actual strength of a black woman. She said, when you tell a black woman, when you create this, this thing or create this infrastructure where black women are strong, meaning that black woman cannot break down, she cannot cry. I mean, she cannot show her emotion. So what happens is you have created this space for her where she can't even be vulnerable. She can't cry, she can't break down, she can't do anything because in the back of her mind, there are people watching who have said that you're a strong black woman, you're supposed to suck it up. So as a black woman living in America, what's your perception when it comes to strong black woman? Well, I'll definitely say that, um, so when you look at mood disorders, mm -hmm. anxiety is the highest, um, that's the highest incidence of, of mood disorder you have and um, so many of these anxieties, I think, for Black women come around having to answer to constructs that just are not real or unfair, like the strong Black woman thing, right? So you're in work, you're at work, and you are one of the few or only Black person, and you have to be that strong Black woman, but like you don't know all the answers, or you need some help, or something like that, but like you removing yourself from that stereotype leaves you vulnerable in a way that does not end up helping you move forward as a person, right? Or as a worker or, or something like that. And that's one example. I think when you look at strong black women, that's not the only one, right? There's also angry black women. Mm -hmm. There's also, and then the sexy black woman. Like mm -hmm. those are the three really big constructs of, of black womanhood. And it's so unfair and it is so limiting. I think for me, I try to, there's this really great talk by Brene Brown 
many people probably know who she is at this point. But she talks about how there's real strength in vulnerability. She's also a white woman, though, right? And she's talking to white audiences. Um, but there is strength in vulnerability. And I think it takes time for people to get there. That is something that I'm hoping to help people achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Okay, so um, I like the fact that you did bring in um, when you talked about anxiety and all that stuff that really affects black women. And so um, looking, um, what I did was I started to, I did my research when it comes to mental health and black women. And so this entire month, basically the show has been focused on mental health. And so today we're really talking about mental health, but really focusing on this population. And most often because we say that they are strong, we really don't connect them to mental health. And so um, I really want us to dive into this fact. This there, there are research out there. There are clinical trials. I mean, there are things out there that state that the most vulnerable population when it comes to mental health are Black women. Right. That there are more Black women who are susceptible, susceptible to mental health than other races. And so we have this more generation trauma because we need to understand there is the white man, there is the white woman, there is the black man, and then there is the black woman. And so you have black women who have already come from that generational trauma, then it leads into cultural trauma mm. where there's the, higher, the hierarchy and this level of there are certain things I can't do because I am a woman. And so you have a lot of these black women who do have mental health, do have mental issues, but they don't talk about it. So you as a black woman, what is your perception of really, how can we help other black women who might be watching to really talk about their issues when it comes to mental health? So what I'll say is just speaking to your point, um, women overall actually experience depression two mm-hmm. times at a rate two times higher than men. Um, but black women are half as likely to get help than their white counterparts. Mm. Right. Um, I think part of it is women, when you ask me to speak to black women right now, is no matter what, right? Like you you need help. You need help. You need support. Every single being needs that. There is this idea from the world that you don't. And so you aren't receiving that. And so you are going to have to be intentional about that. Just like you're intentional about making sure your kids are doing well in school or that your friends are okay or that your man eats. You need to be making sure that you're feeding your soul. You're taking care of your brain and yourself. Right. And there are ways to do that. Very simple ways. If you you can. talk to your 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 provider, your primary care physician or your gynecologist. That person can help you if you're having some sort of issue with mood disorders and you would like some sort of intervention medication wise or even uh, refer you to someone for talk therapy. That's a great place to start. Um, you know, paying attention to your your physical needs, making sure that you eat, that you sleep, you're getting enough rest, um, that you're getting enough water, all these little basic things taking care of you, that needs to be number one. If you take care of you, you can take care of everybody. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? We hear that. Mm-hmm. And so um, Florence Grace Johnson, she made an amazing point. She said, especially postpartum depression in the African communities. And that's something I was going to tackle because I had the opportunity of uh, um, 
I was married and I had a son. And I remember when my wife had the child, I remember reading about postpartum depression. And I saw what happens to a woman's body. And I think a lot of men, when they're in a relationship with a woman and when a woman gets pregnant, do not understand the trauma that she goes through. Because first of all, you need to understand this woman, body nice, banging, those are one of the things that women, you know, they cherish a lot. Her body goes through changes. There are different stages that her body goes through. And her body, basically, after she has this child, is internally healing, but then it's also physically healing. So this body now is being um, trying to tell itself that, okay, now you have another person that depends on you, that depend on you. And so this baby, and so a lot of women go into depression. Right. They go into depression. They don't want to talk about this baby. I mean, it's like a lot of things happen to them because their body is changing overnight and they don't understand this. And I think a lot of things, what happened is people in the, I'm going to say this, in the black community, we don't respect that. The first thing is when this woman comes around with this child, they don't even acknowledge her. Oh, the baby's so cute. Oh, look at the baby. And she's standing right there. Mm-hmm. And it literally takes her to another level. I'm just like, okay, I'm she's like, okay, I'm standing here. You don't see me. So I think uh, uh Florence, this that was a great point because a lot of times I think in the black community, they don't like our mothers didn't get no help. So they don't know how to tell our sisters and the new mothers how to deal with that. And so it's a ripple effect. And so you see these young girls who have kids and the girls don't know what to do. They need a break time and they're breaking down. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you stressed? You just had a child. And she's like, yes, I just had a, but she needs her meantime. And so a lot of people don't understand the trauma that comes with the body change. And it's just a, 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 a whole, like I said, it's a whole different episode <laughs> when yeah. it comes to postpartum depression. But I know I'm going to post on my site because there is this organization that really works with women in postpartum depression. I forgot the name. I'm so sorry. She's probably watching me and I forgot the name, but I know they have a, they have great network for women. And they started the organization in Ghana, but I know they have something um, that they also do here. And I'm definitely going to put that information on um, the conversation page so that other women can really see that. Um, but moving on, let's just focus on. Um, so I was telling uh, um, Veronica, because we're telling Veronica earlier that I came in contact with Marvin Cole. Marvin Cole is a BBC reporter, and she, um, especially, she started this um, mental health podcast based on her journey and it's amazing but it's called black women don't cry we don't really really focus on that because i think for me it was easy because my mom was raised in england so my mom is extremely emotional like when i say emotional hunger cry for everything but I have, I've lived with, I, know, I had a lot of other women around me. They don't cry. They say men don't cry. Right. I've never seen an African woman cry unless she's in church and she received the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Basically, that's it. The only time I've seen an African woman cry, she is in church and she received the Holy Spirit. So I don't know. 
no it's like uh, i i just want to so you're a woman you're a black woman um you are you've lived in africa i'm like black women don't cry how like what how can you how can, let's dive into that black women really don't cry like let's talk about that so i'll say even in um black american culture right it's the same thing caribbean culture too you know you you are not supposed to cry i remember hearing when i lived in nigeria that Igbo women aren't even supposed to cry make a peep when they're giving birth right Jesus. Like, yes so the pressure and so as a kid i was super emotional i mean i still am i'm a super emotional person i'm very affectionate and loving and all of those things but like my family was not like that and i remember being a little girl and my mom telling me that my aunt was uncomfortable with how loving i was my mom never cried but i remember you know people would call me a crybaby, but i was like i feel like i'm strong because i can cry Right. But I'm talking about so I'll be in the middle of like, you know, watching something or upset about something, whatever. I'm crying, but I'm still doing my work. I'm still completing what I need to do. And I feel better. And I think that's the thing about it is like it really has to be this removal of caring about what people say and think and tapping into how you feel, because there is a reason why humans cry. It is natural. It is important. You need to purge and release that. It's it, it it's an important part of mental health. It is, it is, and I think um the fact that uh, um of course because we're black, so we grew up around black women. Right, and I right. Think the fact that, like I said, because my mom grew up in a different environment, and you know, it was different for her. Like my, right. mom, like my, I'm like. I remember as a kid, like my mom watching TV, she will cry. If my mom is happy, she will cry. When she's laughing too hard, tears is running down her eyes. Like she is just the sweetest woman ever. I'm just this woman crying for everything. But then I remember it was just like, and my mom's like, my mom don't hold anything in. So if she's upset, she said what she has to say and she moves on. But I really noticed that people who don't, aren't women, black women who aren't in tune with their emotions, they tend to be very aggressive. Now, black women who are watching don't get annoyed. <laughs> being aggressive is a totally different thing from being an angry black woman. Sure. Because I think a lot of times this thing that it placed on black women where she's angry, she's so emotional. Why she answered a question like that? And I think it's, it stems all the way back. Like we said earlier, this is a white male society. This woman has to do with the white man. She has to do with the white woman. Then she has to do with the black man. Then before she comes in. So in that process, there is already a trauma that has been created for her. So if you just say something to her that is just not setting right, you're going to get it. It has nothing to do with her being angry. It just means that you're just going to get it and that's it. So let's look at this. So you're a black woman. When someone say black women are angry, how do you feel? So working with the most vulnerable population, right? Um, I, I, so I conduct these listening sessions. And in these sessions, I consult women who, who are experiencing homelessness 
And I specifically focus on women of color, right? And so many of them are black. Like I said, 40% of black people are, I mean, 40% of the people experiencing homelessness are black people. And what I found speaking to providers, because my whole thing is I want solutions, right? I want to figure out why there's so many black women who are ending up on the streets and why they aren't getting the sort of services and response that they need to. And what people are saying to me, even from a place of trying to be good or trying to help, is we don't know how to work with black women. You know, like they, we don't know. And they need a special sort of they need special sort of um, interventions, which is true. Right. But this goes to the thing you were saying about being angry. These women have experienced so much trauma. You know, when you get to the point where you are homeless, you've experienced so much trauma. But even before then. Right. Even if we're talking about a black woman who's in the office, what did it take? for her to become the director of that job, right? The trauma of being a black woman. So we do need specific tailored sort of help and supports that other groups don't need. And because we don't get that, we have to protect ourselves. And that's where the aggression or the anger or whatever comes out, the lashing out. We're just trying to protect ourselves. So when the world treats us or makes space for us in the way that it should, It'll change. When you think about it, Black women have taken care. We are the the cradle, like literally our hips are the cradle of civilization, right? We have taken care of everybody. We've taken care of these white men's babies, right? We've taken care. We've always been adopting and taking care of children, you know? Like we are loving, good care. We gonna cook, you know, we gonna throw down, you know what I'm saying? Like take care of everything. So I think it's not that we are angry or upset or any of those things. It's just trying to protect ourselves in a way that nobody else is. Because we protecting everybody else, but ain't nobody watching out for us. And that's where I want to go, because I really want to move into that segment where I feel that a lot of Black women, they spend so much time taking care of everybody and they don't take care of themselves. And I have a family member who is the sweetest woman I've ever met. She literally takes care of everybody. I will give you an example. When we go to Thanksgiving, she's worried about, did you get food? Did you get food? Did you get food? She makes sure that everybody else is settled. And at the end of the day, she has nothing. Mm. And I've watched her year after year and I see how she's poured into other people. And it's just recently where I see her doing things. And I would say, now I see her going on vacations. I'm yes. like, oh, so sweet. You know, it's like, it's like because I've seen her work so much and I've seen her give so much to the family and give so much to her kids and give so much to other people's children and people at her job. I mean, it's funny because we had a function where she was at and everybody said the same thing. She gave too much. But when they said that, I sat back and I said, Everybody said she gave too much, but what have you guys given her? Exactly. Taken. They take it. Taken so much from her. So what have you given to her? And I think that's something that we need to talk about because you being a black woman, you being around black women, we take so much from you guys. It's like relationship is taken, you get kids taken. Um, I'm just like, a lot is taken out from you guys. And so you come to the place where you are so broken and then you're labeled as this aggressive black woman. But um, how can we as society okay. really understand? Because I, I think it's important that there are programs that are structured for us 
as black people. Absolutely. Because this is what I always say. I read something on Facebook the other day where somebody basically said that, you know, race doesn't matter. And I say, yes, so your race doesn't matter because guess what? We aren't the same skin color. So you have never experienced that. So when I talked about my issues when it comes to race, you can't relate to it. So you can't help me. So how can we incorporate these things to help black women to be successful? You just said it, friend. Is that that's what it is right there? So it literally is people looking like you, people who understand you, people who have the lived experience being the ones to push forth the programming to help change things. That's literally what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be black women getting the opportunities to even be able to help to build these programs. So you're seeing now we're so we're starting to see some shifts, right? Um, California is super progressive and specifically like LA and they are doing so much work around black women's health, mental health, physical health, all of those things. But you know who's pushing the work? It's black women. Mm -hmm. So that's it. I think it, there just needs to be all we need. All we need is somebody to open the door a little, right? Because they are aggressively keeping us out, right? People are closing the door. All you need to do is crack the door. You ain't even got to like, let us step on your feet. Yeah, no, right in. Right, right. And there we go. And like, let us be able to build these programs and things like that for ourselves. And I think we are right. We're going to still build them outside of this system that's not letting us in. We're building them. But I think as we are able to get in and do those things ourselves, that's what it's going to be. And I say that because um, I was literally schooled recently when someone said to me that they really have a problem with the show. Because they feel that I bring a lot of women on the show. They said, uh, you know, we have a problem because I feel that you aren't inviting men on the show. And this is what I said. What did you talk Because my black sister voices are important. I'm a black man. I have a platform. And my job is to make sure that my black sister's voice are heard out there. And that was really iffy for me because I really wanted to tackle that question the way I wanted to tackle the question. But based on respect, that was my answer. But I think we need to really understand the power a Black woman has, not in the kitchen, right. not to take care of the kids, but the power of her voice. And I think we underestimate women outside of the house, especially our black sisters. And I can tell you, like I said before you came on the show, if you got Veronica Mills in your corner, you need to have a Veronica Mills in your corner because I have been surrounded by strong black women. Like I have seen women who have broken barriers. I see um, there is somebody on here who um, who's commenting and texting and she is a bad, she's, she's a strong black woman. Yes. She is a strong black woman. And I have seen black women go through so much, but they have broken through a lot of things. And so um, just for the mental health purposes, um, you, I know you have an organization. So why don't we dive into this organization that you have? Because I know you're working on something to assist our Black sisters out there. Yes. So I actually started this organization, Black Women's Rest. And what made me finally decide to do this because in, I mean, in my brain, I just wanted to always save everybody in the world, right? There are so many different people who are experiencing, so many different populations who are experiencing um, pain and things are going wrong. There's a lot of social injustices. 
But in the last few months, I felt like my spirit was being, in particular mine, as a Black woman was being attacked Mm -hmm. and not supported. When I was seeing the way that Black women were being brutalized, Mm -hmm. ignored, erased in media and not supported, I I was like, "This this is not working. And so how can I find sisterhood, build and create sisterhood, pour into people and also have importance. Because all I ask myself is if I think about how amazing Black women are and all that we accomplish, imagine if we turn that into ourselves, what that would look like. And so that's where Black Women Rest came from. Um, And so it's a space for women to come, to heal, to connect, to build sisterhood. You know, I look at it as a place where we can also come up with solutions to combat misogynoir, right? Which is specifically specifically focused on Black women. Um, But it's also a place where people can find resources for mental health. Um, There's also a component for women to actually rest, just luxuriate in resting. Forget your titles, forget the things that you need to take care of, just lay back, take a nap, snack, enjoy, pleasure. Do you know there was a point after slavery, when we were supposed to be free, there was a point where it was literally illegal for Black women to rest. Literally, it would be, there were newspaper articles talking about if you see a Black woman and she's resting, she could be arrested. And they would they would arrest her and put her to work. Slavery, right? And that mentality is still here. It is, it is considered It is considered frivolous for a woman to rest, to take a break, to take a breather. You're supposed to be busy. You have no time to think or breathe or grow. And so this is a space to help women just be. Wow. And when you said it, I think because I have noticed and I've had conversations with other uh, women, with other sisters, Black ladies. And I think what happens is because this society has created this norm where black women feel that they need to, we basically have to work extra hard. Yeah. But now the black men work hard, but yeah. the black woman has to work extra hard. So when a black woman comes to work, she's not going to stand around at the water cooler, have those conversations, keep on going to get coffee and all that stuff, because guess what? People are watching her. And she feels that if I'm doing all that stuff, they don't think I'm working. So I can rest. And I tell you, the people that will respond to emails at 10 p.m. and at 5 o'clock in the morning are my Black sisters. Because they know that if they don't do these things, people are watching them. And they don't take them serious because guess what? They always say they don't do what they're supposed to do. So it's like, I think it's like, I don't know how to say it, but it's like you're never going to win. Right. Because everything you do, people are watching you. Either people, okay, I think that's wrong. I don't think people are watching you. I think you think because of that um, colonialism, because of that slave mentality, you still think that people are watching you. You still think that, oh my God, I have to do this. Because if I don't do this, then they would think that I'm not good enough. Because I, and it's like, no, you are already great. Right. You are powerful. You are strong. You are intelligent. You are, I mean, it's like you are vibrant. You are resilient. You are confident. You are everything. All these words. So you don't need to prove nothing. You just need to do your job and keep on doing what you do. Because I really believe that Black women are just, it's like, 
I don't, I, I don't even find a word. <laughs> because it's just like you meet, it's like you guys can do a lot of things. Someone's puts it on Facebook, it's like black women can just, they're just, they're just marvelous. They, they, they just, and I'm sorry for not saying that other uh, race and other women aren't strong enough, but we're focusing on black women today. So we're going to be talking about black women. So that's, I'm going to leave it to that. But I'm just saying, it's just like, you know, it's, 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 and I, the subject of um, healing, the subject of healing, I think um, this is my perception. I think when people say get over it and move on, it's very disrespectful. So I want to talk to you about healing. Yeah. As a black woman, when it comes to mental health, how can these black women heal? I think a big part of it is understanding that there is no timeline, right? And so that's, that works two ways. So one, you can be 50 or you can be 15 and decide that you're going to start this work. But also what happened to you could have happened when you were 15 or when you were 50. And it's okay when you decide to start it, right? And get into into, into the whole process of trying to heal. Um I think it's very important to understand that you have a community and that you need to tap into your community and connect with those folks and be open with them about what you're experiencing. You owe it to yourself to heal. Like there is so life, there is so much beauty to be experienced in life. And when you are working from a place of trauma and you are constantly in reactionary mode and trying to, to protect yourself and not being able to just love and accept and like bring in the good because you haven't given your yourself that space to heal. I mean, there's just so much more to this, but I would say everyone has something they need to heal from. And Black women have a lot of little mini traumas. And it's every day. It's some new, something new every day that they need to heal from. It's work that we all deserve uh -huh. to, to dedicate ourselves to. Um, so there's a, 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 there's a program. It's called Emancip Emotional Emancipation Circles. I don't know if you heard about that. But basically, it's where Black women come together. They have circles all over the world and where women come together and really heal. And I want people to understand we're using the word, the word heal because you have to heal from these hurts, from the trauma, from the, 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 the generational trauma, the cultural trauma, the things that have happened to Black women. They need to heal, and we need to create an environment, like you said, black women rest where you can go and just chill, right? Right, and I think, and so this, this emotional emancipation circle basically is um self helped, it's why you it's a support, it's a group system where women can just come and heal from their trauma. They talk, I think it's just like a support group, but it's specifically for black women. And so you, uh, 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 being a black woman, I will continue to say, like, they can see you and know that you're a black woman. But I would say that you being a black woman and you have an organization that black women rest. How can a woman who have always been told you are strong, you can do this, is how can a woman be that vulnerable to come into this organization to rest? 
Okay, that's a great question. It honestly is work and it is hard, right? Um, I think you have to make this decision that you are worth that that work that it's going to take, right? You're going to have to lay it down. It really is going to have to be this thing of like chipping away at yourself and and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Um, There are a lot of exercises. There are a lot of physical exercises that help to tap into vulnerability, right? So what helped for me and what I have on the website are these resources that people can tap into. Well, the website is going to be launched, but it's you can go on there and you can sign up. And when it's ready, you will receive uh, an email notification. But there are these resources that help to actually shift your energy and open you up. So there are ways to breathe, learning how to breathe in certain ways, learning how to sit in certain ways. Yes. Even even words. There are words and things that you can say, exercises to help you open up and become more vulnerable. But there are definitely steps that you have to take. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I hope is that people understand that they're safe in this space. And I think that helps for people to know that they can be vulnerable. Yeah. And so for all my Black sisters out there, if you haven't heard about Black Women Rest, I will suggest that you reach out to blkwomenrest.org. Um, Veronica Mills will you know, provide you information that you can have to help you with whatever mental state you are in. Uh, but just before you know, uh, we wrap this up, I want to talk about something that I learned today. And I know and whoever who else to talk about this thing that I learned today but Miss Veronica Mills, because I just like we gotta talk about this. But okay. so I've been doing my research and then I came across this lady called Kimberly Cranshaw. Kimberly Cranshaw is a professor. Oh God, I forgot what university um, she teaches at, but she's a professor, and basically she has introduced this word that's called intersectional intersection. Intersectionality. I can't even pronounce the word. Intersectionality, EJ. Intersectionality. I can't do it. You see, that's the thing. I can't even pronounce the word. But basically what it is, and it's something that is very important because I never looked at it this way, is where we, you got this because you're Black. Right. You got this job because you're Black. Oh, um, don't do that. That's a girl. Don't do that to her. Uh, um, a girl is not, you know, and all these things we do that create this level of segregation, of separation. And so what is your take on that? Sure. So I would say, um, so I'm going to give you an example. Uh, when we look at like affirmative action in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, it was to help minorities move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you looked at it, who benefited the most were white women. Right. Mm-hmm. but Black men also got opportunities, right? So they, so you were able to say black people benefited and 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 women benefited, but black women were not benefiting because they hit both of those groups. Oh. They were also able to be kicked out from that conversation because they were in both of those groups. So when you talk about the importance of intersectionality, it is this recognition that your gender and your race that experience is a unique experience that needs to have, once again, when we talk about something tailored to your experience in order to have real supports. 
Yes. So that's what happens. A lot of black women fall through the cracks because of that. Lack of, lack of acknowledgement of intersectionality. And so you've been, you have worked with, you currently work with um, women of color. And so what are the, what those women experience when they do go to like hospitals or when they do go to other places? What are the experiences, especially when it comes to mental health? What are the experience? So I'm going to say this actually, because I think this helps with context is I work with, they're, they're all demographics, like it's black, white, uh -huh. right? Indigenous folks. And what we've noticed is black women were the ones who were being left behind, weren't getting the kind of, so black women would go into a shelter and they would complain that they, that they'd been assaulted or something happened to them. They wouldn't get any sort of retribution, like nothing would happen to keep them safe or protect them. But once a white woman spoke up about the same incident, then a person would be penalized. So you see it in ways like that. You'll see it in ways where black women, and really it ends up also being with black people, but still black women end up getting the brunt of it when they're going into spaces where you're, whether you're talking about care to get um, mental health care, whether they're trying to get shelter or something like that. The way that the intake forms are set up oh. are so racist and sexist in the way that hits Black women, that Black women don't end up getting the sort of help that they need at all. And so Black women end up having to work out of the system, outside of the system in a different kind of way. Just think about when you see on the streets of D.C., we're here on D.C., I still, I've seen one white woman. I see Black home, women experiencing homelessness all the time. And that's not by, that's not a mistake. And you say that and it brings uh, um, something to me and what I was reading something the other day and really realized that, you know, people were talking about mental health, but it was this one black girl who was talking about, you know, how the, the, the challenges she faced when she do go to a hospital. So they were in a school program and that program basically helps kids who are um, on um, drugs. And you know it leads to mental health and all that stuff that happens. But basically, they have a breakdown and go to the hospital. Well, she gets the lower hand of everything that everything that happened because she's a black woman, right? And it's basically sad because you have these people who are who do are who have mental issues, but insurance first of all, insurance don't cover it until they go to the emergency room. So they have. Emergency room. When they get to the emergency room, the doctor's like, I ain't got time for this. This is not an emergency. You want an overdose and your brain is not functioning properly. So we're not dealing with you. So they're going to deal with somebody else. So you sit there for three hours. That person want to be there for three hours because they want to be. So then they get up and go. So that mm -hmm. entire circle, all the service that that person could have received that day, they don't get that service because guess what? You don't store their time. They're for sure and they leave. Exactly. And so I just feel it's like, like I think we said earlier, which you also mentioned, it's just like, how can we structure programs for people really to understand that systematic racism is real? Well, even speaking to the point you say about the hospital, right? There was that study that was going around that showed <laughs> that even now people were being taught, medical students were being taught that black people don't feel pain the same way. And so black women weren't getting the pain meds that they needed in childbirth, in childbirth today, to this day, black women are going through childbirth and not being given the proper kind of medication. My mom, when she was giving birth to me, she told me the nurse told her to be quiet, stop yelling so loud. Cuss that that's, lady. That's, thing. that's what they do. You better shoot. You need to go to the maternity ward in Africa. Shut up. Stop yelling. It's a mess. <laughs> well, it was in Miami. My mom, and it was a white nurse. My mom cussed that nurse out. 
Yeah, because and that's what you say is true. It's because we, but then the thing is, it's because we have this and what it said, black women are strong. So it's like, okay, you don't give, don't give her all that medication. We can put it on somebody else anyway, because she probably on uh, 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 welfare and she probably not going to pay the hospital bill. So why are we going to give her this medication that costs this much money? So let's just let her figure it out. And looking at the history of medicine, it's all been done on black women's body without anesthesia. All of these huge um, medical breakthroughs that have benefited the world have been have started on black women's bodies against our will and without medications or, you know, any sort of pain reliever or anything like that. Just there's this idea that black women are stronger, more animalistic, you know, those things like even as a younger girl, you are you're sexualized earlier, you're considered stronger early, you know, like all sorts of things that go along with you being a black. And it, it starts so early and it's been before you even enter into this world, really. Yeah, but like I always have all my guests on the show, you won't believe it, but we're almost to the end. What? <laughs> And so this is what I want you, what can you leave with us for those who are watching and those who will watch after, what can you leave with us when it comes to Black women and mental health? Okay. So this is what I will say. I will say, make sure that you're taking care of your basic needs. Make sure that you are moving some sort of exercise, 15 minutes, walking around your house, anything, right? Make sure that you are eating healthy, you know, getting some vegetables, some fruits in. It's okay if you want to eat your candy or you need your comfort food, but make sure that you're hitting those, getting your vitamins. Uh, make sure that you rest. Make sure you meditate and make sure you connect. It's important for you to, to tap into your community. It's important for you to give yourself time to think and to, and to, to grow your mind. That, that helps with um, depression and, and those sorts of issues. That's what I would say. If you need help, reach out, get help. There are so many resources. Black Women Rest. Um, yeah. Okay, but before we go, I also want to say to uh, um, there are I don't know how to put it, but there are great resources out there for Black women. And if you guys don't know, there are resources out there. I just she talked about her organization, Black Women Rest. I talk about emotion, emotional emancipation circles. Um, there are churches around here that do different programs that can help you and provide you services. But this is what I want to say to my sisters. Don't lose yourself. It is important that you don't lose yourself. Recognize your issue. If you have an issue, recognize it and don't lose yourself. Scream. I know someone said that when you do have mental health, nobody can hear you screaming because you are not actually screaming. There are a lot of things that you're doing so that people can recognize that you do have an issue, but people don't. But I say scream. Scream as loud as you can and people will hear you. Self-love, love yourself, patient, pamper yourself, yes. buy the things that you love, let them kids go. Don't spend all your time and all your resources. Yes, they are your kids, but guess what? They still have their own identity. They will turn 18, they will walk out your house. And by that time you realize it's too late. Self-love, anything for you. Have time for you. Give yourself the time to spend time with yourself. Love on yourself. Um, take yourself to dinner. Take yourself to the mall. Take yourself. Do all these things that will make you happy. And that's one thing I know someone told me. You have to find that thing that makes you happy. And when it makes you happy, you need to do it. 
Yes. Because it's important. It's it important. And actually, yes, black women do cry. Yes. Black women do get sad. Black women do break down. Black women have mental problems. Black women have everything that every other human being can experience. They, right. are, they are extremely tough, but they are also human beings. When you cut a black woman, you're going to see red blood. If you cut a white man and a black man, you're going to see red blood. So I think this notion of black women are too strong and we try to really, really, really put them down because of their strength. We need to understand that their strength are in other places. Their strength are to take care of the home. Their strength are to be the boss ladies they are. Their strength are to take care of their family. Their strength are to take care of their kids. Their strength are to take care of their husband and take care of the nation and take care of this world. That's what the strength are. But there are human beings who are vulnerable like you and myself. And so let's go out there and support our sisters. Let's make sure that they be the women that they were called to be. And I want to tell you guys, um, and I will say this again um, to my Nigerian brothers and sisters out there. We support you. We are here with you. We say end SARS. We say end Nigeria police brutality. We stand with you. Um, and again, for those who are in the United States, if you have, have not voted yet, we're asking you to go have two weeks till election day. Asking you guys to go out and vote. Vote. Go out and exercise your right to vote. This is important. If you have friends, create a text message trend, send text messages out. You guys can carpool, whatever it is that you guys can do. Wear your mask, have your hand sanitizer, whatever. There are polling booths. If you have not ordered your ballot online, you should order your ballot online, fill it out, put it in the bus, whatever it is that you are going to do. Make it your duty to vote. Please don't say, oh, I have to work today and this doesn't concern me. No, it concerns you. The rights and privilege that you have is because of your right to vote. There are so many men and women who die for you to have this right. So we're asking you out there, vote if you can. If you have the right to vote, exercise your right. But again, this was the conversation. Yeah. Outspoken and opinionated. We say thank you to our guest, Veronica Mills of the Black West. We say thank you for coming and sharing with us. You've given us so much information. We are going to go out and have a great time. Again, I say this is the conversation. Outspoken and opinionated. My name is Edwin Meyer. I was your host, and I'll see you next week, Thursday. We are closing this mental health section next week, Thursday, with two amazing Black sisters who are really going to give us some great information on everything that we can do when it comes to self-love, self-love. Mm -hmm. And we have someone there is a life coach. I have somebody there who's also, she's an author. I mean, there's going to be good and juicy information. So don't miss it. This was the conversation, like I said earlier. I've spoken opinionated. My name is Edwin Maya. I say have a good day and thank you for tuning in. See you next week, Thursday. Bye.